0: there you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals please check it out and wherever you're listening please rate and review and share the podcast i'd love to hear what you think at the end of the day human connection is all we have enjoy trigger warning in case you didn't see it in the description of the episode this episode contains description of sexual assault Please be advised hello hello welcome back I am still in the beautiful County of Herefordshire in the UK and I'm looking out onto the farmland and this morning I I actually had to bundle myself up in all the long sleeve shirts and long pants that I had and socks because it was so chilly and I had a scarf on. It was crazy. So we've had a wild swing from 95 degrees down to 70 in the matter of 24 hours. It was crazy. So I had to go today into town and get myself a fleece. (laughs) Yeah, I know you all over there in New York are sweltering, so I'm sorry about that. Nothing I can do about it, but I am sorry for you. So that's what's happening with me. And I I was realizing yesterday that each new place I find myself in certainly influences the kind of stories that I feel inspired to tell. As I'm in England, I feel the presence of the royal family, even though they don't enter into any of my daily interactions in any way. Well... That's not entirely true. I did see a flag with a picture of the Queen flying over a house as Temmy and I rode to Hereford the other day. And when I asked about it, he said with clear conviction that he was not a royalist. Along with other potential battle lines that the Brits draw up around, I guess this is just one more. So we could be grateful for that. I mean, I guess we have other kinds of royals like Kardashians or not Kardashians. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. The conversation made me think of how the whole story of Charles and Diana had been a small buzz in the background of my own story in the 80s and 90s. After all, Diana and I share a name and I think I mentioned that my first Dave used to call me Lady Di. I loved Princess Diana in a small way and I marveled at how glamorous she was and I admired her attempts to help children and such through UNICEF and I imagined us living parallel lives in some way two Dianas on different sides of the pond. Yes, fanciful and ridiculous. In any case, thinking of Diana reminded me of one of my students from the Montessori house named Trevor. I loved him. He was quiet and thoughtful boy, and we shared many good lessons and interesting chats. And one day his mom told me that on the ride home from school, he was musing aloud in the back of the car. I'm wonderful. Yes, dear, his mother agreed. I'm so wonderful. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm wonderful all the time, he continued. He kept exploring that theme until his mom started to worry that he was getting a bit full of himself. Why are you so wonderful all of a sudden, she asked. I just wonder all the time about butterflies and why the Egyptians liked cats so much. And I'm wonderful, she laughed. And he related the elaboration of the word, wonderful, that I had shared with the kids that morning. I love word origins, and I'm often diverted down some quest to find out where a particular word became associated with a particular meaning. Okay, so before I get too far diverted, however, back to Trevor and what does he have to do with Lady Diana. On the morning after Diana died, Trevor's mom was listening to the radio in the kitchen while she made Trevor's lunch for school. And when the reporter started that segment about Diana, she said aloud, Oh no, Diana's dead? And she heard a gasp behind her from the kitchen table. She turned to see Trevor looking ashen and he immediately started to weep. He was inconsolable for a minute or two while she tried to ascertain what was wrong. Finally, he was able to blubber, Miss Diana's dead? She almost laughed, but she quickly clarified No, sweetheart. Lady Diana over in England. Miss Diana is fine. As Trevor knew no other Diana but me, he could not quite be certain until they drove to school and I greeted him at the classroom door. He gave me a big hug and I was surprised as he was not normally effusive. His mom told me the story as he went to put away his things and I was very touched at the depth of his feelings for me. So there's a small slice of my daily life in my old classroom back in my life before Charlotte. My new classroom at the Charlotte Preparatory School was proving to be quite a complicated challenge of another sort. To begin with, I was alone with the kids, which any sensible person will tell you is a huge no-no. I don't know why it didn't alarm me at the time, but I just thought, new school, new ways. I realized that I would have to structure my class time in order to allow myself time to observe the kids as I had been taught. That was one challenge, and then I was slowly realizing that the four-year-olds who'd come to my class from some other classroom the year previous did not seem to have the same fundamental training and basics, such as respect for the space, for each other, and for me. I needed to summon all my patience and Zen and resolve to start from square one with all of them, without the ability to rely on the older kids to model the behavior that would help our classroom function smoothly and peacefully. A Montessori classroom in its purest manifestation should be a haven of calm and peaceful learning for everyone in it, the teacher being every bit as much of a student as anyone else. I always thought I learned so much more about math. In the Montessori classroom where I taught, it made so much more sense. But anyway, okay, so I'm gonna get on my soapbox here for a moment, as my friend Aaron is fond of saying. And I'm sorry if I'm gonna sound preachy and judgmental, but here goes. Young children need to be able to hear their own inner voice that guides them to learn what they most need to learn at any given time. We can offer them options, and then we should let them follow their impulses. The prodding of their soul, their spirit, their winty. That's in episode 100 if you don't know what that is. If their environment is chaotic, they will not have the space they need to listen and choose and trust themselves. This makes for anxiety. We need to strive to give little ones a peaceful and purposeful start so they know in their core that they have their own path and that they can trust their own inner compass. This will allow creative choice and exciting development. Creativity will flow in all pursuits, no matter whether they're an artist or an engineer, a doctor or a scientist. Okay, there's my two cents on education. And unfortunately, the new school where I was now teaching did not want to hear my concerns. I became an upstart maverick as I began to realize that up and down the hallways All of the other classrooms were noisy and erupting with wails now and again. I shut my classroom door and tried to carry on with my own plans. In my classroom, I modeled patience, quiet, and respect. I observed what lessons I thought the kids and the environment needed, and I steered us all towards those. One day in the cafeteria, the kids and I noticed how dirty the chairs were with sticky goo having been skipped over in the cursory cleanings they might get now and again. I put together a chair washing exercise wherein a student could wash an individual chair in our classroom after they had carried it in from the cafeteria, which was right next door. They could do this at a special washing station. And then when it was dry, they returned it to the cafeteria with a small sticker on the underneath so that they could know that that one was finished. My students started looking for their clean chairs when they went in for lunch. They took pride in their work and they showed the other kids who then asked for chair washing work in their classroom. That didn't go over well because now I was creating more work for the other teachers. I was vastly out of place. I also saw that this community of children contained some other problems. One day I noticed that one of my four-year-old boys had taken to lying underneath the desks to do whatever activity he had chosen. He was not socializing in the same way as he had before. He was nervous and distant. Odder still, I noticed that he was wearing multiple pairs of pants in layers and that he was not so clean on some days. His parents never told me that they were concerned, so I thought I could let it wait until they brought it up. At the end of October, we had Meet the Teacher Night, where I had a short conference with each child's parents. When this boy's parents came in, they were all dressed up like they were going out afterwards and had just stopped in to say hello. We chatted and they smiled indulgently as I tried to tell them how their son was getting along. They never said anything about any odd behavior and I couldn't let it go. So I gently mentioned what I had observed and asked if anything had changed in his friendships outside of school or something like that. They looked at each other and then seemed to slump a bit, as though they were kids, caught in a lie. Then they told me a horrific story. They told me that they had sent their son across the street to play with a friend, and that this boy had taken their boy upstairs to the bathroom, stripped him of his clothes, pushed a wooden spoon up his anus, and then drawn all over his genitals with a magic marker. He had threatened the child at scissor point, not to move and not to say anything. This child was only two years older than the four year old. It was horrific behavior. And obviously the child who inflicted it was also very, very damaged. I sat spellbound and my stomach was churning. It was an awful, awful moment. And I said, well, So what is happening? What's, what are we going to do for him? And they said that they were going to ignore it and let it go because that they felt bad for the child who perpetrated this act as well. And while I could understand that, I asked them, well, what about your boy? Is he going to get some therapy or something? And they said, no, we think he'll be fine. We just need to let him work it out. I could not believe it. He was not working it out. He was covering it up. He was terrified and they were just going to do nothing. I had very little room as a teacher to insist that they do anything. And I went to my administrator. I told her the story and I asked her what were our responsibilities in this area. And she said that we couldn't do anything. It was a horrible moment of powerlessness for me and I truly feel still to this day that it could have been handled very differently and that there must have been some authorities to be called in and at the very least a therapist for this child to talk to him and help him work through the horror of his situation. So I'm sorry to leave you with that story but it was something that deeply affected me as a teacher, as a human being. And it was one more factor in a complicated maze of things that was leading me to think that I was really out of place in this new home and this new life and that I had to do something about it, something big. So I'll let you know how that something unfolds as the next few episodes unfold too. Thank you for taking this journey with me and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash DianaTheBard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.